Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, October 23rd, 2018, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Anastasia and hopefully Lavendar. She had um, an emergency come up just shortly before the show, and she's going to try to get back in time. But um, our special guest tonight is one of our favorites. It is multiple award-winning filmmaker and Emmy-nominated casting director Craig Campobasso. He was 15 when he started in the entertainment business. And after graduating high school at age 17, Craig went to work behind the scenes on blockbuster film classics like Dune, directed by David Lynch, and two Schwarzenegger movies, Conan the Destroyer and Total Recall. He began his casting career on Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories, and he received an Emmy nomination for casting Picket Fences. Craig's casting career spans three decades, and his mother, Marie Donna King Campobasso, told him from the time she was pregnant with him that she knew he would become a writer. He fulfilled that prophecy when he was 26 after he experienced a life-changing spiritual awakening. That's when the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga book series was born. His passion is to write stories that provoke the reader to think, to raise their consciousness while still entertaining in the Hollywood tradition. Craig directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which was adapted from the popular UFO book by the late Dr. Frank Stranges. In September 2014, it won Best Sci-Fi Film at the Burbank International Film Festival, and in 2015, it won a Remy Award at the World Fest Houston International Film Festival for Best Sci-Fi Short. Craig has also appeared on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens. The autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga, The Heroid Revolution and Other Warring Creatures, is the fourth book in the series, and he'll be talking about that tonight. So you can check out Craig's work at these two websites, autobiographyofanet.com and strangeratthepentagon.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy, Jada, and Fiona for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a question or comment for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds, thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices if you choose to have those notifications. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please remember, if you want a session, I mean a, a session with that, a reading with that chart, 
you'll need to order it about three months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first up tonight is Anastasia with the ever-popular Starseed News. <laughs> <Do-do-do-do>. <laughs> Hi, Anastasia. Thank you, Ariel. Good evening. If Lavendar doesn't make it on in time, just to give me a signal, and I'll, I have a couple more stories we can talk about if you need a bit more time for her to come on. We'll see what happens here. Well, on this podcast, as you all might know, I share stories from the Internet and do what I can to choose reputable sources. But as I have said many times before, solid and clear information is hard to come by, and what I share may or may not be reliable. And as such, I do have a retraction. Last week, I shared an Internet report about a nuclear power plant in shutdown. The story I sourced gave an incorrect date of the occurrence, apparently a typographical error. I didn't catch it. And as I later discovered, this referred to an event that happened in September and therefore is not a current event. There is no current reporting about the situation at this facility, and that is excellent news. Now, having said all that, and keeping in mind this is a sharing of what's available on an increasingly questionable Internet, in an increasingly deceptive and reckless news culture, let's do the best we can and get on with tonight's stories, as reported by many others, condensed and shared with you by yours truly. All right. Well, a study finds Mars salty water likely to have enough oxygen to support life. Salty water just below the surface of Mars could hold enough oxygen to support the kind of microbial life that emerged and flourished on Earth billions of years ago, according to researchers in the report yesterday. The study came, uh, this study came about from the discovery by NASA's Curiosity rover, which revealed the presence of brine deposits on Mars. Scientists discovered that brine, and that's water with high concentrations of salt, that brine on Mars can contain enough oxygen for microbes to breathe. In some Martian locations, the amount of available oxygen in the water could even keep alive a primitive multicellular animal such as a sponge. In its liquid state, water does contain oxygen, you all know that, but Mars is bitterly cold, causing water to freeze. Temperatures on the red planet can vary between minus 319 degrees to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, wow. Wow. High salt content allows for the water on Mars to remain liquid at much lower temperatures than it does here on Earth, making heavily salted water less likely to freeze and therefore a habitable environment for living creatures such as microbes and higher-order multicellular animals is there and present on the planet Mars. Mm. Wild. And the hunt for Planet X turns up a new solar system object. I want to thank Emily, who is a Starseed listener and a regular contributor to this show. She sends me good stuff. Thank you, Emily. This uh, was reported the first part of the month. I haven't covered it yet, so let me tell you about it. While searching for the mysterious planet X that some astronomers believe lurks on the edge of our solar system, researchers instead found an extremely distant object that they dubbed the Goblin. And this object provides compelling evidence for the existence of planet X. 
The object is on the small end of being a dwarf planet with a 40,000-year orbit, meaning that it takes that long to go around the sun. 40,000 years it goes around the sun. That's more than 2,000 times the distance between the Earth and the sun. Its current location is about two and a half times farther from the sun than from Pluto. Now, scientists said, an astronomer at the Carnegie Institution for Science said, I think we are nearing the 90% likelihood of planet X being real with the finding of this discovery. The goblin is considered an inner Oort, Oort cloud object. Now, the Oort cloud is a predicted bubble around our solar system far beyond Pluto, filled with trillions of icy bodies and the supposed birthplace of long-term comets. Now, the researchers have also submitted a paper to the Astronomical Journey that, Journal that details their findings and say that goblin behaves in a way that it is pushed into an orbit by some unseen force. And, based on simulations using the basic parameters they have for Planet X, the researchers say the goblin acts like it is being shepherded by a giant planet but never gets near to it. Similar to the reason that Pluto never gets too close to the gas giant Neptune, although their orbits actually cross. These distant objects are like breadcrumbs that lead us to planet, planet X, researchers tell us. They go on to say, the more of them we can find, the better we can understand the outer solar system and the possible planet that we think is shaping their orbits, a discovery that would redefine our knowledge of the solar system's evolution. We are very uniform in our sky coverage, and yet we seem to only be finding objects with similar types of orbits that are on the same side of the sky, suggesting something is shepherding them which we do believe is Planet X. Woohoo! Wow. Wild. Hey, you guys, does crispy fall weather and upcoming Halloween make any of you a little more hungry? Well, you want to go <laughs> pop out for a burger and some fries? Oh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Maybe you are a vegetarian. Oops. <laughs> well, then you can ignore the following. But if you are a carnivore, you better listen to this. According to science... Burger King's new menu item will actually give you nightmares. Burger King has a new menu item. They say it's pretty spooky, not just because of its name or its green bun. Yes, a green bun. Can you imagine eating a hamburger with a green bun? We used to call that mold. Anyway, (laughs) this, this new item is rightly named Nightmare King, and it's been clinically proven to induce nightmares. No kidding, you guys. The Halloween-themed burger consists of a quarter-pound beef patty, crispy chicken, cheese, thick-cut bacon, mayonnaise, and onions, lots of cholesterol. And it also comes on a green sesame seed bun and is said to increase nightmare occurrence by several times the normal rate. Now, this was done by a clinical study that involved 100 participants who ate the Nightmare King, and then they were monitored when they were sleeping. And according to previous studies, 4% of the population experiences nightmares on any given night. This is by a a lead researcher who said this. And he goes on to say, But after eating the Nightmare King, the data obtained from the study indicated that the incidence of nightmares increased three and a half times. 
why the various proteins found in the burger allow it to induce nightmares. (laughs) So in case you are interested, the Nightmare King will be available from now until November 1st, and it's going to cost you about six bucks. (laughs) I can't I can't believe that someone would pay someone would pay to have a nightmare. <laughs> it's like it's just I don't know. I mean, There's something uh, about that that uh, it's just crazy like the world's crazy today. I mean, are are they really planning on selling a lot of those? It's uh, oh well. Okay. I wanna know Strong who got magnitude. paid to come up with that idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. I I wonder who really decided to study this. I mean, what what's up with that? Okay, it's just been released. It was released yesterday. So, I mean, is this a like a promo gimmick or something? What? I don't know. It's got to be. It's got to you know, be. Just, yeah, you wonder about some of these studies. Uh, anyway, well, there was a strong six-point magnitude earthquake that rocked Taiwan. It hit 65 miles off Taiwan's coastal city of Hualien. It happened earlier today. No report of data. No report of damage. Excuse me, or casualties from that quake and here is a wild story I'm going to encourage all of you to check this out on the internet if you're so inclined these pictures are astonishing Rome has Rome uh, turned to ice the Italian capital came to a standstill after it was battered by torrential rain and giant hailstones massive chunks of hail and torrential rain battered Rome when a freak storm struck Sunday night The terrible weather smothered streets with icy chunks and trapped many drivers in their cars. Drivers had to abandon their cars in the middle of the streets that suddenly turned to flowing rivers of ice. Now, the photographs on the net about this are jaw-dropping. Now, provided, again, they're contemporary, they're untouched, uh, once again, tipping my hat to the chance of misinformation, such as the possibility of special effects or mismatched footage, but... These jaw-dropping photos show enormous chunks of ice completely, totally covering the entire ground, showing what looks more like cars floating atop a broken iceberg than cars navigating wet city streets. It is bizarre. Check it out. Huge chunks of ice. Apparently the hailstorms fell, and then maybe they melted together, and they were frozen like this in these big clumps. You can't see pavement. It's wow. it's, it's wild. And, uh, well, there's a, a big event happening on Mexico's west coast. There is a Hurricane Willa that's threatened to potentially uh, turn into a Category 5 hurricane. That was this morning's prediction. But by afternoon, just before the news, it was uh, weakened to a Category 4. But it's continuing its path towards the coast of western Mexico, Hurricane Willa. Uh, The U.S. National Hurricane Center says that Willa is still a dangerous major hurricane. This hurricane has grown rapidly as it's made away across the Pacific Ocean. Its winds increased from 40 miles per hour to 155 miles per hour in the 48 hours before decreasing to its present Category 4 later today. And the U.S. National Hurricane Center has warned that the storm system could produce life-threatening storm surge, wind, and rainfall in Mexico sometime today or tonight. And in another related weather event, Tropical Storm Vincente 
was no was located uh, 590 kilometers southwest of Manzanilla, Colima, Mexico, this morning. Uh, weather forecasters are showing, saying that Vincente is looking less organized, but is still expected to produce heavy rainfall and flooding over portions of southern and southwestern Mexico. So Mexico's really getting hammered right now. Oh. And boy, you know, you want to get away from the cold weather. It's turning kind of crispy out there now. Let's go to Hawaii, shall we? Well, wait a minute. There is more October snow on Mauna Kea, Hawaii right now. More snow now coating the summit of this mountain overnight. The road to the summit of Mauna Kea was closed to the public due to icy road conditions in Hawaii. Now, anybody that's been to Hawaii, they amaze me by telling me about the snow on the mountaintops while it's warm down at the beach. Nevertheless, it is October. And all over uh, the, the planet, really, we are having early signs of winter everywhere, as I'm, you're going to hear here in a minute or two. I don't report all these stories. We don't have time to talk about them. But it is cold early, snowing early to, to a record depths in many places. Now, Vancouver Island, Canada, had a magnitude 6.7 quake. They tell us that it struck about 100 miles or more off the coast of Port Hardy, which is a town on the northeast end of Vancouver Island. There are currently no reports of casualties or damages following the quake. But according to the USGS, as of yesterday, during a one-hour period, there were three other quakes above M, uh, magnitude 6, in Port Hardy, Canada, there was a 6.6, a 6.8, and a 6.5. So a great deal of activity going on up there in Vancouver Island. And wow, Spain really has, has been hit. Full-scale emergency in Spain as flash floods rip through villages in the southern provinces. They got 15 inches of rain in 24 hours. Oh. Red alerts for torrential rain in parts of Andalusia were issued Sunday as the province of Magala experienced some of the worst weather seen in living memory. Many roads were blocked by flooding and rockfalls. And the tiny village of Jamera de Libar was badly hit as the river level suddenly rose, leaving two-story properties totally submerged and cars washed away. Oh, my. Yeah, and in Qatar, the desert country, Qatar was hit by widespread, widespread flash flooding Saturday as the desert country received almost a year's worth of rainfall in one day. Roads became impassable, air traffic was disrupted, and homes were flooded. They say that the capital city experienced, the, uh, for certain, the year's worth of rain, that one city, in one wow. day. And in North Dakota, rain and early season record snowfall is delaying North Dakota harvests. They tell us that on the same day that Hurricane Michael destroyed parts of the Florida panhandle, old man winter hit early in the northern plains. What started as rain uh, changed to snow. They say on average a trace of snow might fall on any given day in early October but a record 5.7 inches of snow um, beat the previous records from October of 1921. 
They tell wow. us that a whopping storm total of 17 and a half inches was measured at the Grand Forks Air Base, and several other reporting sites received anywhere from 10 to 15 inches. Now, this was um, it was in uh, Thursday's news. They're talking about a bit earlier in October. So we are talking about, let's see, week and a half ago, early October, uh, the northern latitude's getting this kind of snow. So we may really get a really severe winter. And you know there's people talking about an ice age, too, so who knows. But it's been pretty severe so far this year. And I haven't talked about this for quite a while. You all seem to be interested in this. Sometimes I skip over these stories, but you know about the birds that end up in the wrong places, the wrong continents, Mm -hmm. for instance, wrong time of the year? Yeah. Well, here's a story about a gray cat bird. It's from North America that turned up in Cornwall, the U.K. (laughs) Hundreds of bird watchers descended on West Cornwall to catch a glimpse of a rare avian visitor from North America. It is believed to be just the second time this bird has been sighted on mainland Britain. It came a long way. The great cat wow. bird did. And that's not all. Pine bunting from Eurasia turned up on Vancouver Island, Canada. You know, the place with the earthquakes? The first oh. time this bird has ever been seen south of the Alaskan Islands. First time the species, which is native to Asia, has been seen anywhere south of Alaska in North America. So we have them going both directions. We have them going from North America to England or the U.K., and we have them coming from Eurasia to this side of the world. Wow. What's up with that? And in Greece, central Cyprus had a powerful tornado hit them. Local media said houses were badly damaged. There weren't any injuries, but a tornado in Greece. All right. Well, I'm going to end tonight's show with a final story. It's just a real short overview. I'm going to encourage all listeners to go to Psychology Today to read this article by Gustavo Rossetti. And I'm just giving you a summary of it with about a few of his key points. But his article is titled, How to Stop Being Busy All the Time and do fewer things better. Do any of you get tired of saying, I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy, and then feeling guilty because you're busy, because you ignore somebody or some? I do, I confess. And I have a lot of people tell me, I'm busy. Sorry I didn't call you, I was busy. This is like a mantra of our time, because things are consuming us, demanding everything of us. It's too complex. We have this ingrained idea that we have to do it all. And besides that, this this writer rightfully points out that once you start doing this, it becomes very automated. He says that being busy is the root cause of mindless behaviors. Amen to that. It both, ju- it both justifies and reinforces living on autopilot. Anybody out there recognize those symptoms? He goes on to say that busyness is a socially accepted excuse. Just say, I'm busy, and people will forgive you for not doing something. Feeling distracted or irritated? Blame it on being very busy. Moreover, when you can't find time for yourself, use the same excuse. 
I'm crazy busy. That's how we end up lying to everyone, ourselves included. The do more and do everything approach to productivity is not working. It's a stress trap. Focus on doing fewer things, but doing them better. That's the opposite, and it's a liberating experience. It's freeing. You cut yourself free from the slavery of the wheel, the grind, the treadmill. You will remove more than tasks from your life. You'll get rid of the guilt and the stress as well. His three steps. Excuse me. Focus on what's essential. Do we even have the capacity anymore to make a decision about what's essential? I ask you. We certainly don't have the capacity to make that decision if we don't slow down and think about it. Really think about it. Number two, prioritize quality over quantity. Mm. How many of you have noticed, had experiences with, almost on a daily basis, mistakes by your bank, Mm. maybe mistakes at the post office, mistakes at work, mistakes in the grocery store, things that are damaged, things that aren't done right. They're selling his cars that don't have brakes, his steering wheels don't work. Everything is about rushing, pushing, hurrying, doing more and more and more, and the quality of just about everything is degrading. How about if we don't let that affect us? How about if we prioritize quality over quantity? Number three, emphasize achieving not doing. Wow. Mm. Let us think about that one. Achieving, not doing. In the spiritual classes that we give on our side of the world, the biggest difficulty that we have with those who come to receive instruction and help is that they're too busy. This is a plague. Oh, I should do this. I should do my spiritual work. I should meditate. I'm too busy. If you want ownership of yourself and ownership of your own soul, stop a minute and stop being so busy. Take control. And I'm going to leave this with you from Mark Twain. He said, The two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. And if you want to know why, you have to stop being so busy. (laughs) From my heart to yours, each one of you, much love. Have a beautiful week, everyone. Thank you so much, Ariel. Thank you, Anastasia, for another great Starseed News episode. We do appreciate that. And, um, well, it it looks like Lavender is she's not here yet. Um, there's no doubt about that. But hopefully she'll be able to slide in before the show is over. But we're going to go ahead and uh, get rolling here with Craig. So, Anastasia, I'm going to switch your mic over. And sure. once again, thank you so much. So welcome. Okay. So let me get your mic open. Hello, Craig. Welcome. Hey, to how are you? Oh, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Um, we're just really glad to have you back, and um, uh, I don't know if you were hearing at the b- very beginning of the show, but uh, Lavender had called and, and had uh, something come up, and she says, I'm going to try to get back in time, but I don't know if I will be. 
So uh, we're just going to go ahead because you've got some great stuff to talk about. And um, first of all, because, I mean, you've been, I don't care, four or five times you've been with us. And um, loved every minute of it. <laughs> and, and us too. Us too. But why don't we just kind of um, give a, a quick overview of who you are, what you do, and, 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 what, and then we'll talk about your new, um, your new books. Sure. Uh, so uh, what I do for a day job is I've been a casting director for film and TV for over 30 years. I'm just saying that now. Um, <laughs> like giving me <laughs> exact. 20 for a while. Yeah, you yeah, I know. It's like, you know, usually you always want to go over. Now I'm trying to uh, deduct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, and and I really and truly uh, enjoy that, and uh, I have been moving into um, uh, producing and directing. And as you know, you guys were great supporters when I did the short film "Stranger at the Pentagon" from the popular UFO book. Uh, Pinned by uh, the late Dr. Frank Stranges, which originally came out in 1967. So um, the the short film won uh, several best sci-fi short uh, at film festivals, and um, people can watch the film at StrangerAtThePentagon.com uh, as well. And uh, and then uh, uh, and the biggest overview I would say is that uh, when I was 26 years old, I had a major spiritual awakening, and this was brought on by master teachers, and uh, not of this earth. And and I went through um, a few years of this training and waking up to the universe. And um, uh, the uh, uh, traveling to other worlds, traveling to Melchizedek, um, uh, the University of Melchizedek, which is the spiritual university of the universe, and. And learning from there as well. And so I was writing, I wrote a book that was 400 pages long about those experiences. And then I did a trip to Mount Shasta, and, uh, which was my reward for finishing <laughs> the book, <laughs> you know, yeah. and never having written anything before. I mean, that was a great accomplishment. Uh, for uh, for me and uh, anyway, one of the master teachers when I arrived home um, said to me, "What would you say if I told you you wrote that book for yourself?" And I said, "Then I've learned an awful lot about myself." And he said, "Now it's time to sit down and write the real books." And when you once when you sit down. I want you to keep writing and writing and writing everything that you hear, and I don't want you to stop or edit anything. And so that's how the process has been. Um, uh, and those books ended up becoming the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga uh, book series. Um, so book book one and two 
in between casting jobs um, and a lot more uh, spiritual education took about 25 years to write. And they were one big giant book that was 900 pages. (laughs) (laughs) So um, anyway, there was a... um, uh, I had met... um, uh, another book author uh, and and the psychic Sylvia Brown, who who befriended me and loved the material and uh, wrote the foreword to book one. And uh, at the time, I was go- I was going with a publisher who was going to buy it as a trilogy, and they wanted me to cut the book down, uh, way down. So I cut it to about 200 pages, and then. Um, And then at the last minute, they decided that they didn't want to publish it. They were going to stick more in the healing aspects of their publishing company. So so needless to say, it was very disappointing. Um, Yeah, you did all that work. Yeah, but it was okay because in the end, what my guides told me is that this is the work of the universe. And that if it would have gone through a publisher, it would have become what their agenda was. True. So I said, totally get that. I said, I totally get that. So anyway, so on 11-11-11 is when um, book one, I Am Tehran, was first published. And I didn't uh, didn't plan it that way. It just happened that on 11-11-11, it it was the day it was published. Is that cool? Yeah, well, maybe you didn't plan it that way, but in somewhere, in some level, they had it planned. <laughs> they had it planned that way, for sure. They had it planned, yeah. <laughs> so, so, so that's the overview of, uh, you know, uh, of who and all of that, um, you know, of what uh, – how I've become who I've become over all these years, because as we know, with each year, and we really work on our spiritual self, and thank you, Anastasia, for all that wonderful stuff in the beginning, because it really is true, you have to take the bull by the horn and work on yourself. So um, it's uh, we just start becoming more and more um, spiritually attuned, and our heart and our mind starts to merge, and we start ebbing out of duality and start merging into becoming fully conscious beings. And that is the main purpose of all the books, is uh, because the lead character, Tehran, is a uh, professor at uh, the University of Melchizedek, and he is the one who instructs starseeds before their planetary missions and is with them when they make the departure to uh, come into worlds such as Earth, and Earth is, is focused in the books, and how the consciousness raising program works, uh, not only for messengers, but also for mighty messengers who also come in to teach the masses. So, uh, so well, we get to learn all of that, but the really interesting point is that Tehran was born dualistic in a society that is fully conscious. So 
there there is an anomaly in one in every 200,000 beings born there that are born dualistic so that the rest of the population can learn from a dualistic being and that dualistic being can learn from fully conscious beings. So uh, anyway, Tehran early on went to a school for uh, dualistic uh, um, children and uh, and that's where he met his two best friends. So we also follow their stories on them being dualistic and how they become eventually over time how they become fully conscious. So we the reader actually become Tehran and we get to take that journey with him and see exactly how um how things work and how things are done and and uh using the spiritual attunement tools uh which we were which we are all given and uh so uh, and some of us may have forgotten them so they're they're um they're reminders in the book for for all of us and uh i mean there's how many times have we heard one thing and go oh yeah i forget yeah i know that yeah uh-huh. so, right yeah we do need to yeah. be reminded of some of the you know, like simple things that can somehow escape us i know it's so true yeah <laughs> it is it is so um in in the in the in the first book is are the the dualistic you said it's like one in 200,000 um right. are they considered um challenged uh you know special needs or are they are they um, <clears throat> honored with as having a very special, unique um, p- function and purpose? They they are honored by their peers and by their parents and by their siblings, but they themselves might not understand it. So they would still have the same struggles and challenges that we do here on Earth. Now, of course, there wouldn't be any monetary challenges, but everything would have to deal with the self and with mm-hmm. dealing with other people and um, and dealing with emotions because we know here our emotions are, um, are the spiritual tool that quickens us in our equilibrium so if if we don't deal with something it builds and builds and builds until we explode and then we (laughs) we can either continue in that explosion in that behavior or we can try and figure a way to get ourselves out and relieve our body of the pain and suffering that we're feeling. And when we do that, we start to spiritually elevate. So there is this quickening of a spiritual equilibrium that happens. Um, Each time somebody learns a lesson and really gets it on a finite level. And the thing is, is that we're never going to stop learning. It doesn't it doesn't matter. I mean, even creator gods and angels and all, all beings are always constantly learning. There is always something um that we can um gleam enlightenment from as well. So oh, Absolutely. Yeah. It's the upward spiral. It doesn't end. Yes. That's right. That's right. That's a yeah. beautiful. I love that. It is. 
It is. There is. I mean, there's no ending. So, yeah. um, when I mean. Now you had the um, when you said you had a nine nine hundred page thing and then you broke it down. Um, yes. And was that the like the first draft of of the trilogy or was that a totally separate thing? It was the first draft of what I thought would be the first book. So when I cut it down, is I I cut the um, the first part of the book. And then I had to write a different ending. And as you know, book one has a surprise ending that we can't tell anybody about. But uh, and and wrote and then put that in. And then the second book is I retooled. Then the second part of it, I retooled as the second book, which is called Waking Tehran. So and then I couldn't wait to write the third book because uh, we're also dealing with with personal duality. But we're also de- dealing with the greater duality in the universe uh, between Michael and Lucifer, and so we do we do uh, learn about that rebellion, and um, we do learn about Lucifer's side of the story, and and Tehran is given the task of um, of writing a dossier about. He, uh, about learning about the rebellion, and he will eventually interview all those involved, including Lucifer, which he does not want to do. By the way, I mean, would you? No. <laughs> right. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, if if somebody said that to you right away, you'd say, nope, nope, no thanks. So it it's an amazing journey of how how all of these lives um, intersect. And uh, Tehran is not a created being. Uh, of course, Michael, Lucifer, uh, the creator gods, they are all immortal so that they never die. So they just keep living and living and living. So so we have all these these back histories and, and forward histories to pull from. So the third book then is Lucifer is on trial after being imprisoned for 200,000 years on a prison planet for soul death. And this is where Tehran has to present his dossier. So that's the book that I was really itching to write because I really wanted to know what happened to him. And and what happened to uh, the other rebels that never went into a redemption mode? So um, so that uh, and and of course I would try and write it before its time, but nothing would come out. And then of course on the day they wanted me to start, I uh, happily ran to my computer and just started typing and typing and typing away. And uh, it is it is such a fascinating story in uh, book three that um, uh, of just where it all goes and where you think it's going to go it goes somewhere else completely different so um, mm-hmm. that's why I couldn't wait because I, I you know I am like the readers I'm just writing it I'm just hearing it and I'm just writing it so um, so when I write it, I'm really reading it. I'm the first person that gets to read it. So, uh, so you you didn't you didn't know the whole story ahead of no, time. No, 
No, I could have. So you had to wait I, to find I, out. I had to wait, yeah, just like everybody else. So, and um, and each of the books are left with these cliffhangers, and I, uh, you know, and I I want to know what happens, and uh, so all the cliffhangers get answered with each new book, but then there's about two or three new cliffhangers that hit each book. So, um, and of course, I want to know what happens, just like everybody well, yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean that's that's just and that's wonderful. And now you've got is it is it a trilogy uh, and then and then a fourth book what And then a fourth book. So we're uh, we're going to call it a book series. I believe that there'll be seven books in total. And uh book 4 is called The Heroid Revolution. Um the heroes are a fascinating um life form and concept and the 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 uh the short explanation is is we meet them in book 1 and we learn more and more about them in each book so in in book 1 we do learn that they were a soul group that lived on a planet um and they destroyed and blew up their world with excessive greed and racism. So there so there was not because there, that world was no longer in existence, there was not a lot of incarnation channels for them to reincarnate because they were dualistic so that they could still try uh you know still evolve towards ascension. And so they decided that they would create um, uh, life forms, uh, human life forms, where those souls, if they so choose, could come in and learn and be a part of the Galactarian Alignment of Space, Peoples, and Planets and also work and learn uh, at the University of Melchizedek, which is 490 university planets from one end of the galaxy to the other in the mirror system, right? So, so, um, so the Heroid Revolution in Book Four is um, is them revolting, but it's not a common revolt. It's something that like I thought it was going to be a complete revolution of the heroids. I always knew book four would be called that, but that's not what it ended up being. So um, it's, uh, it takes on a whole life of its own, and it actually then starts to combine all the stories. We actually go back to their planet, and we, we meet all of who they used to be, the, the, the lead heroids, who they used to be when they were on that planet. Some were good, some were, were the destroyers of the planet. And we get to see their backstory, and then we go into their forward story. And, um, and then we see that we have a, um, you know, a new nemesis, which is sort of... Um, Universal Nemesis, which has uh, brought forth a bunch of these different um, 
different war, warring, warring like W-A-R-R-I-N-G creatures together um, to create mayhem so that he could gain access into another world and gain control of those beings because those beings have one very powerful asset. They have something known as some mind tricks. And they can literally tap in by looking into somebody's mind. And with their eyes, they can take control of, of, that, of that person and, um, and merge them into their hive. So it's um, so it all collides on this one world, uh, the warring world, and uh, and uh, and I can't tell you how the day gets saved. Um, no, you or can't if it do gets that. Saved. No, right, or but, if it gets saved, so, or if it gets saved. So, right. Well, let me ask you this: um, Are the, are the humanoids um, humanoid? Yes, yes, they're. They're um, they're um, they call them ambibiotic. They're they are they're they're clones. They're not clones. They're they're actual. Um, uh, they're they're bred in a in a science laboratory instead of born of man and woman. So and do they have cybernetic? No, no, they're completely they're 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 made differently on the inside. They're they're more of a chlorophyll based uh, on the inside. So they have rejuvenation pods, and and uh, their feeding is more of chlorophyll. And um, but they're human in every way. They are not sexual beings. They didn't. Uh, they're not uh, made that way either. They're really more for um, escalating on the spiritual path towards ascension of the souls who wanted to make good of what happened on the prior planet. So, um, but it is their choice. And I mean, they're, they're, they had many choices. They could. They could take this opportunity. They could wait for reincarnation cycles on planets that were that were similar to to their old planet, um, or they could just continue to learn in the spirit world, which just takes longer because, as we know, when we're in duality, um, we really learn uh, on a faster timeline. So, I commend every single person listening to this program because you are all here, and you are all brave because we are learning on a daily basis in this place that is dualistic. And, and uh, I mean, we, we all know. Uh, we all know the struggles. We all know everything. I mean, if you really look at Earth and the divine design in it, with all of the things that go on, even with all the diseases, with... with um, wars with uh greed with everything that goes on it really is molding uh, our souls into one multi-faceted diamond so that when we are back and pure in in the in the heavenly worlds again that we will have we will have so much 
knowledge to share with other people. So, I mean, because we really do learn. I mean, it's amazing. And what's a really cool thing is they're a big form of, well, they're in telepathy. Let's say if um, you and I are on a ship, Ariel, and I wanted to share one particular experience with you, I could put that ball of thought into your mind and it would spread throughout your body so that you would feel everything I felt in that moment instead of just hearing it as a story. Wow. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool, yeah. So, um, and one of the great things also um, that all the all these galactic beings have, they, they also have a thing called the imager. The imager is the technology for all the ships, uh, for all the rooms. It creates whatever you want. Um, uh, it creates clothes, food. Um, most rooms are sparse, but everything is stored in, in the walls in a storage container, and you just use your thoughts and pull it out all through this imager technology. Um, you could be sitting at a table and just ask for a glass of water, and a glass of water will appear from the tabletop. Um, you could be walking through skyways that are very high, and the, and the technology is in a Bluetron railing and footing, and everything feels like you're walking on air, and the railings are there to protect you. And even if you were to lean over and fall, it wouldn't let you. It would ca- the, the energy would catch you and put you back safely. So, um, but on a spiritual note, that let's say if if um, one of the beings is going through an incredibly difficult time and is not looking at things correctly, they can then make a copy of their self through the imager and ask their self, looking right at their, their own self as in human form, to ask their oversoul to speak to them about how they should learn what they need to learn and what's the process. So it's a really deep introspection, and you have to be really advanced to to um, hear all of that. But isn't that an incredible tool? Oh, oh, yeah, I, mean, I want one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I mean, me too, me too. But, I mean, here we can still do it. We can just, in meditation, um, project ourself and ask our oversoul to speak to us about what we really need to learn or what's my what's my lesson in this. I mean, I've had a few things over the past couple of years that I didn't understand what my lesson was and what I was going through. And I actually did that, and I I actually got the answer and then finally understood and went, wow, that's really, that's really awesome. Oh, so, that's great. Yeah, really that's great. great. So... Um, so you have um, you started writing these books like 25 years ago. Is that what you said? 20, well, when I was 26, and I'm 59. Well, so. that's that's a, a, a work of um, 
of from the heart. Yes, it, yeah, you know? absolutely, absolutely. And as as you know, because I know you've read them, um, you know, I work painstakingly with an artist so that there are um, in every book eighty artist renderings of the uh, master teachers, extraterrestrials, uh, inside the ships. Um, all all of that so people can actually connect with the beings. I get so many people writing me saying thank you for doing that because it really helped them connect in more with the characters or that most of the times people call me and say I know that I know these beings. I know these beings. It's like it awakens something in their soul. And um and uh book 4 also uh, has a lot of, uh, I think, about 80 to 90 drawings. And um, and the other thing that I've been doing is I've been converting all the books into audio books on Audible, on Amazon. So um, that's been a very uh, fun process. Uh, so book one and two is on Audible now, and uh, this month I'm starting on book three with one narrator and book four with a different narrator, uh, and we should have those up by Christmas time. So. Oh, cool. Yeah, lots of people. I had no idea how many people love books on tape, but evidently they do. Well, yeah, because, I mean, people that... Um, I mean that I've talked to, they've got a long commute. You know, yeah. you just put it in, and it, and it it takes a you know sitting in traffic to a whole nother level. Although, you know, sometimes I don't think it's such a good idea to you know books that take you into an altered consciousness <laughs> be behind <laughs> behind the steering wheel. But I think that's part of wh- how the audio books have really, um, you know, been appreciated and, and marketed. Yes, uh, but yeah, that's, I mean, for that's sure. great when you've got both the books. And let me ask you, when you worked with, with the artist, were you seeing these characters in your mind and you just, yes. you know, uh-huh. like like, were you, like a police artist? It's like, no, no, the yeah. nose was longer. No, the lips were bigger. You know, so you are yeah, describing I, Yes, well, I I see every single, every single uh, being in the book um, has either appeared to me um, or shown themselves to me in a lucid dream or whatever. So I I met uh, the artist. I, I had seen this little show, and, and Barbara Lamb, who we all love, uh, who is, uh, she regresses uh, people who have extraterrestrial um, uh, contact. And she was talking and showing this work of this artist. So I called the host of the show, I found the artist. I went and met her, and um, and she sat down with me, and she she kind of put her head down, and she said, "I just have to acclimate to your energy." And in a, a few minutes, she raised her head up. She looked at me. Her eyes kept going above, above, above my head, and she said, "Oh," she said, "There's a very tall." A uh, commander standing behind you who has long, long blonde hair, and he's telling me his name is Theron. And I said, "No, his name's Teron." But damn, that was close. I said, "You got the job yeah. if you want it." <laughs> yeah. So she, um, it's uh, her name is Christine Dennett, and uh, she goes by Kasara. I think her website's Kasara.org. She has amazing. 
artist, and she has uh, done all four books and um, worked really, really hard. And uh, and, and she, um, her, uh, like she would come to my house, and we would sit, and I would describe what something looked like. And what's so great about her is that they were able to also infuse in her mind what they look like because she was so in tune. So it worked out, you know, worked out really, really well. And these these beings that are, um, I mean, essentially um, dictating the book to you? Um, yeah. I mean, is that a fair assessment? It is, yeah. When when um, when it's coming, who whoever is uh, in in the chapter, um, what they'll do is put their feeling body inside me, and um, and I then write from their feelings and their perspective. And it's an amazing process. When it first began, my body would just ring with chills, like all those years ago. Um, my body would ring with chills for like 15 minutes because um, uh, I, I just couldn't believe it was happening and I had to spiritually attune and keep raising my vibration and that was part of that whole beginning two-year process. Um, and uh, anyway, uh, and when the created beings or... Uh, angels or whatever come in then of course i would sob for 10 to 15 minutes because it was so beautiful but now i'm so in tune with all of them they come in i write from their perspective we move you know we move on to uh whoever uh is uh whoever is next um and that kind of thing so so it's really exciting and and i do have um you know i do have a guide one guide who uh, will, uh, I'll have a different guide on each book who is not from here as well, who will be the overseer of everything that goes on. So I will hear him or her give me things about what's coming up or like when book four was being written, they said these are, these will be the five main points, right? So, um uh, and but I don't uh, I don't know what will happen within those points until I get there. So wow. and and as a writer, it's hard when you you know uh, sit down and you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to write a book. Where do I start? Never happened to me. <laughs> I just sit down and boom, 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 and it just starts flying out. So um, I I feel very blessed to. Um, you know, have been given this uh, this writing assignment to bring the Galactarian worlds, uh, and I just love that they call it the uh, the Galactarian alignment of space peoples and planets. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And and are these are these beings um, fifth dimensional or beyond? Well, I will tell you they are multidimensional because in one of the books we went um they we the uh the one of the motherships is able to be in all of the dimensions at once 
And then what we do is we're able to walk from one dimension into the next dimension. It's the same craft, but it's a different crew. It's the crew of that dimension. And then you can keep going back into all of the dimensions. And the thing is that they all work in unison because they say the equilibrium between all the dimensions has to be maintained. And at some point, all of the dimensions will merge. And I have no idea when that would be. I don't think it's anytime soon. But, (laughs) you know, we'll, we'll all merge and all become one. So, so then it, it, so then that lead that you know that opens up the mind to a whole nother thing. Like, wow, we're interdimensional beings. So, if I'm in this dimension, and am I in that one? Am I in that one? And am I in that one? And that one? And that one? And if I am, when it merges, then would uh, all myself would then merge back into me? And I would have gleaned all this information from all these various dimensions. Good. So I, <laughs> I know, right? The top of my head lift off there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? <laughs> That's yeah. I um, know. It's kind of, kind of mind-boggling. Um, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Temporal, temporal mechanics and quantum physics. Um, I, I I don't think my name is on that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. it's so. not on mine either for <laughs> physics. Although I've I've gone and and listened to physicists talk uh, about about the universe and all of that, and it's um, it's extremely fascinating. And to see that NASA has gone so far that they've discovered thousands and thousands and thousands of planets. And that they discovered five more all sort of clumped together. Three were clumped together and then two were clumped together, but they were very near each other. And that they believed that three of them uh, were able to support life. So, um, And as we know, most, uh, most beings, um, advanced beings, they all live on the interior of planets. They don't live on the outside because of the elements. So on the interior, they're able to... Um, create um, uh, floors just like terrace floors like like if it was a ship if it was a mothership and uh, they have synchrotron skies so a synchrotron sky will go from day into night some floors are all night some floors are all day and if you were standing in an outdoor setting uh, in a forest by a lake or a pond or a river with your feet in it and you looked up at the sky, it would be as if you were on the outside of a planet looking up into the sky. But because they are in this containment, they can contain their resonation fields. And the resonation fields is what keeps their cells young and that's why they all look between 30 and 33 for the duration of their very long lifetimes. Wow. 
Yeah. By the way, in the back of all the books, there's a terminology of the extraterrestrial worlds that explains synchrotron skies, explains the imager, explains bluetron technologies. Um, it, it, and each book has a bunch of different things in it. So I always suggest to the reader to always read the terminology of the extraterrestrial worlds first in the back of the book just to get an idea. And if you decide not to do that and you get to a word, then you can go back and look at it in the terminology, and it will give you a lengthened, heightened explanation of what it means. Yeah, I thought that was really helpful because, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're using words and concepts that we don't have any – we we don't have anything to base it on. So, yeah, it's really important that glossary um, of explanations of – of the yes. terms that that these people That's right. um, are using. That's right. So, and, and I'm I'm a layman, and I said you guys have to explain it to me because I'm a layman. I don't understand it. You have to simplify it because the reader has to understand it too. So so that was uh, you know so some of the stuff um, uh, you know took quite some time to understand through various mm-hmm. imagery and things like that, so um, or, or them uh, trying to explain it. The, the hardest thing for, uh, uh, for me to grasp was a creator God creating from thin air. So, uh, but that process is in one of the books. Um, but that, that took me quite some time to understand. So, can you imagine? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yeah. Well, here's a peach. <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I like. Boop, oh, I'm hungry. I think I'll have a peach. Boop, that's in your hand. Yep, you eat it, and then you put the seed back where it came from. So, I mean, amazing, amazing. They don't have clothes. I mean, their clothes. Uh, it's, you know, they're done. They put it back in the imager. The molecules eat it up. They want to create a new one. They create it in, you know, when they want to put on whatever. So there's no more storage. There's no more any of that stuff. There's no more junk. There's no, no junk. Clutter. Isn't that great? Because yeah. anybody can create anything from the imager. They can even create art from the imager. So statues, wow. paintings, everything. So, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I can't help but but make um, correlations uh, with the, some of the Star Trek um, environment because the replicators, you know, right. do, they right. take energy and turn it into matter, whether you That's eat right. it, wear it, you know, a tools, you know, all of that. I mean, it's like kind of like, but what you're talking about is like the replicator yes. uh, three thousand years later. <laughs> yes, exactly, was, yeah. exactly. And, and and Gene Roddenberry, by the way, um, knew he was receiving information from above as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. He, um, yeah, well, I believe, you know, when um, when you were on the show before and talking about Dr. Frank and Stranger at the Pentagon and, and all of that, um, I, I think you, you kind of touched on that. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes, there. Um, I, I mean, he. Uh, um, the I'm just trying to think. 
I lost my train of thought. Um, well, my mind was going bing, he, bing, bing, bing. Didn't he come to a a, a party um, with with um, Andrea Paharic? Right, that's right. Yes, because when I was on the Ancient Aliens episode, um, uh, uh, they had seen the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, so they called me and wanted to do a story on Valiant Thor and Dr. Frank. And uh, so uh, another part of the story was with Puharic, and um, uh, and Puharic, uh, they were channeling uh, the Nine, what they called them. And um, the Nine was a collective uh, mind group from somewhere in the universe that was imparting information. So, so Gene Roddenberry, including a lot of big people who own corporations and things like that, um, would go and listen to these channelings. And uh, and if you ever now look at all of the Star Trek from beginning to end, there is a lot of things that are based on the number nine. Oh yeah. There was seven of nine. Um, deep, uh, space deep space nine. nine. I uh, think I counted. Yeah, 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 I think yeah, seven oh one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a nine. Yeah, the ship was a nine. That's right. That's right. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah or so, There's a lot of 18s as well. But yeah, Star Trek is is yeah. coded, you know, since 1966, in the original yeah. and on through the whole series. Um, and when you were talking about the beings that live underground, yeah. Star Trek, <laughs> Star Trek. Um, they had an episode. I mean, the original classic Star Trek with a whole uh, civilization living inside of an asteroid that was um, under power heading to a new destination. And the people thought that they lived outside because they had... Oh, uh, wow. They had, the, you know, they had the foliage, you know, they had... Um, they thought they were living on a planet. They didn't realize they were inside, but that was just... Is that and they the were inside. the name of the episode is, uh, For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. That's the, the title <laughs> of the episode. <laughs> this, oh, my God. I up, love it. This old guy climbed up one of the mountains and he actually could touch the... There wasn't a real sky. It was the you know the shell of the thing. But the when you were talking about thing. that, it's like yeah, yeah, 1967. Wow, that's amazing. I'm gonna have to start taping them because I know I have them on one of the channels and and start watching them again. So yeah, um, H and I, yeah. heroes and icons. Yeah, they they've been running. He was you know all Star Trek uncut. He was amazing, and we we had uh, when we uh, shot. Uh, stranger um, Eastern costume is the one that made the spacesuits, and um, they uh, uh, they had them all up and uh, on mannequins as they were working on them. And their their head tailor uh, they they gave that job to him. And I found out afterwards he was the man who did all of the costumes for the very first Star Trek movie. He sewed all their clothes as well. Oh wow! Yeah, isn't that cool? Okay. Yeah, it's well, you know, very it's almost like, like all of your your career as a casting director was really just to get you in a position where you could do this. You know, I really think so. Yeah, what? exactly, exactly. Yeah, so so now you've got all the you know with with the 
you know, with actors, with with all the special effects people, with the costume designers. You've got all that in Everything. your back pocket. You know, Everything. So, yeah. And don't, don't forget I started out uh, right out of high school working on the feature film Dune, Dune for four years as well. Yeah. Frank Herbert. Yeah. So... So that was that was a that was a great uh, learning school, you know, with David Lynch, Dino, and Rafaela De Laurentiis, and uh, you know all those actors. I just saw David and Kyle earlier this year, and uh, Kyle came up and we were talking, and he said, "Oh my God, do you remember when you picked me up?" from the airport and brought me to my first meeting with David Lynch. And I go, I do. I said, wasn't that an amazing day? And he goes, yeah, it really was. So it was really nice. Yeah. Well, see, I mean, that's, that has served you very well. And now, yeah, I mean, you're just all hooked up and I'm, I'm so proud of you and we're just so honored to, to know you. And, you know, I mean, you're just, you're a real genuine, sincere person. And, uh, oh, thank you. Even, I love you guys. You know that. <laughs> well, we we love you too. And I mean, just <laughs> just uh, you know, uh, having you on the show and keeping up with you know all the new things that you're doing. Um, and you know, I want to I want to just take a moment here and let the audience know that if you have a question, if you want to ask Craig about anything with his books, if you're reading them, if you, you know, are about to read them, any question for Craig, you can, uh, if you're already on the switchboard, just press 1, and you can ask him yourself. And if you're listening on the computer, then you need to pick up the phone and dial 917-889-8292, and then once you're in, press 1. And our producers, uh, Fiona, Jada, and Kathy, will get you set to go. Um, so we'll just let that cook for a while and see if anyone, uh, if anyone has a question. Um, but back to um, the the topic, the subject. Um, I I did want to ask you: Is um, are there any uh, surprises that you had when you you know you thought you knew what was coming and and then yes. you were surprised? Yes. Was that I, well? The last in, book? In, in yeah, in book three, the uh, the surprise was beyond anything I could have even dreamed of. I it was so spectacular the outcome that uh, um, it, it would it would have never been in my consciousness if if I hadn't been uh, receiving it from them. And in book four. Uh, the latest book, which just came out in July, um, the whole heroid revolution and how all of that happened, and the uh, um, you know how this um, new nemesis actually comes in and takes over everything uh, to have all of these worlds collide on one world for his own personal gain is um, is quite spectacular and then where it leads off um, at the very end with uh, more cliffhangers and uh, everything that's going on it's uh, it blew my mind so I'm not sure if the next book is going to be a continuation or a prequel so um, because I've always wanted to do a prequel um, and they they haven't given me the answer yet um, 
But uh, I think a prequel would be really awesome to go back and learn who they all were beforehand and uh, and see that. But uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. By the way, if anybody wants to uh, check the books out, the website's autobiography of an A-N-E-T dot com. And if they want to get autographed copies of the book there, they can. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Autobiography of O-F-N-A-N-E-T dot com. And also stranger at the Pentagon dot com. Um, yes. And we have... I mean, you've got the uh, the DVDs, and yes. you've got the the uh, the whole short um, sci-fi, the award-winning film. You've got that um, available uh, to view. Um, yes, without exactly. charge. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and the um, I have all of Dr. Frank's out-of-print books, including Stranger at the Pentagon, and uh, people love the posters. There's uh, the, uh, a poster from the movie that was done by Roy Young, who does Marvel Comics, by the way. And uh, there's a poster of Victor One, Valiant Thor's uh, 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 flagship, which is 200 feet in diameter, 97 feet from top to bottom. It's a double-decker. Each craft holds 200, so it's a picture of that craft and the blueprints to both floors. And then there's one of Valiant's uh, flagship, which he designed and built in outer space himself. Uh, well, uh, not himself, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. And uh, seven miles long, um, seven miles wide and 14 miles long. And then I actually have a handful of the original book posters that used to be in the store when it when it came out. So um, so those are major collectors' item, and and I'm happy to sign them for anybody if if they so want as well. And I personalize all the books and things like that uh, to whoever buys them. So uh, I nice enjoy. Touch. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I mean, it's so much fun. I've seen other authors who balk at signing things, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's uh, it's a privilege. So, um, and very exciting. I love collecting books from other authors and have them sign it. So that's 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 my, that's the thing that I collect. So yeah, well, I have an autographed, the last book that Betty Hill did, I have an autographed copy of Betty Hill. Benny so. Hill, the comedian? No, Betty, Betty Hill, Betty and Barney oh, Hill. Betty, oh, like Betty and Barney. Yeah, Betty Hill. Oh, I yeah. thought you said Benny Hill, and I thought well, Benny Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is he bringing him up, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Betty and Barney Hill. I. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you know she well, passed not long after that. So, um, yeah, I mean those things are great collectors' items. Absolutely. So, um, you've got you've just got so much uh, going on with the with the four books, the short film, um, and I we we strongly, highly recommend that you watch Stranger at the Pentagon. If you you know, or you can read the book. the the uh, The short is is just it's fabulous. It's wonderful, and I love the way that you put. Um, that you had it crowdsourced so that yes. you had total creative freedom 
And, That's right. Um, and then, and all the people, I mean, I recognize all, all these starseed names, <laughs> people that are in our community. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're just hundreds of names, and you watch them, you watch the credits go by at the end. It's like, oh, my gosh, you put every single person's name. I did. Um, I did. And, and it's because they all made it. Everybody, all of us made it, and it was a film that was made by the people, for the people, in the way that it should have been made. And I wanted everyone's energy on the film, and it, it's, it's wonderful. So people don't have to, you know, they'll have to watch all the credits at the end anyway. So, but if they do, um, you know, all the, all the names are there. So, yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah, yeah, so well, we're still gearing we up for the big, big one. Well, well, yeah, yeah. And how is that going? It's going good. We're, you know, still just talking to uh, investors and things like that. So we're the, uh, you know, the budget right now is twenty-five million, which is um, which is uh, pretty modest for a film of this size with all the visual effects and all of that, because. You know, don't forget, we're going to be going on board the Victor-class saucers. We're going to be on motherships, starships, um, other planets. Um, and we're going to bring those galactic worlds finally to life. Oh, I can't wait. And is there a place on your, on your website, Stranger at the Pentagon, is there a place where people can uh, contribute to the feature yes. film? Uh-huh. Yeah, they can. There's a button, I think, uh, at the top. They can look at the uh, uh, buttons to click. I think they can buy book and DVD, and that's where all the books and posters and things are. And then uh, there's another button uh, to donate towards uh, the feature film as well. So, um, And they can, uh, you know, go on and read more about the story and see the real pictures of uh, Valiant Thor, uh, Vice Commander Don, his Vice Commander, and uh, learn, you know, read more about the story there. So, Well, the, the story um, of Valiant Thor, I'm, I'm just, I'm kind of flabbergasted that it's not common knowledge. I know, I mean, right? This- has it been swept? I mean, did they sweep it under the rug? Are they just like, look, we just don't talk about this anymore? You know, the fact that, uh, and for people that, that maybe are, are some new listeners, you know, a spaceship lands, was it in, in Arlington, Virginia? It was in Alexandria, Virginia, Alexandria. in an okay, yeah. agricultural field. Um, the spaceship and, lands. Yeah. In yeah, agricultural March 16th, field. 19, March 16th, 1957. That's right. right, yeah, that's right. And it was a Saturday morning at 8 a.m., so it wasn't a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of people, not a lot going on. There were, uh, uh, there were people, of course, that saw it. Um, but uh, anyway, it's, I think what, what happened is when... You know, he was there for the three years to implement his design, his divine design, which he brought from the Council of Twelve, uh, which was to help eliminate sickness, disease, prolong life, to teach them more about the things in the universe, 
um, and of course to really uh, try and curtail them away from uh, atomics and atomic energy and warfare and all of that and explaining to them um, uh, that not only are they uh, hurting their own this planet but they're actually hurting other planets and interdimensional planets as well um, giving them you know the full rundown on all the dangers um, and so towards the end of his uh, three years that he was put on this VIP status and it was turned down, um, Dr. Frank happened to be speaking. Uh, he was a minister who spoke on UFOs and the Bible, so he was a little different than than your normal run-of-the-mill um, guy. And he was speaking at a local church, and um, anyway, the one of the high-clearance secretaries who had befriended Valiant Thor um, went to church, and she went to this church, and the night that he was speaking on UFOs and the Bible, um, he came and uh, she came and talked to Dr. Frank afterwards and um, said that she was going to bring him to the Pentagon to meet Valiant Thor. Now, now you have to go a little bit further back in the backstory, and that backstory is that Dr. Frank was friends with a retired army photographer, and this photographer was a ufologist and had the largest collection of UFO photos in the world at that time. He, Dr. Frank, lived in New Jersey. This gentleman named August Roberts lived in New Jersey. And Howard Menger, who was a contactee for human extraterrestrials, um, would have UFO lectures in his backyard in Highbridge, New Jersey. Now, this is where Valiant Thor, his vice commander Don, and uh, another vice commander's wife, would, they went to this, and they were photographed by August Roberts. And, um, uh, and August called Dr. Frank right away, and said, you're not going to believe this, but I have pictures of space people. And so he went to um, meet with Dr. Frank, showed him the pictures, and Dr. Frank said, well, why do you think that they are? And he said, well, he said, that man right there pointing to Valiant, he doesn't have any fingerprints or handprints, and when he looked at me, he looked right through me. I've never felt anyone do that before. He said, but... When the visitors come, they have a special handshake with Howard, and they gave him the special handshake, so it was confirmed that they weren't from here. So anyway, so she then picks Dr. Frank up the next morning at his hotel in Washington, brings him to the Pentagon, uh, brings him into uh, a generic uh, room where he has a conversation with Dr. Frank for... I don't know, half hour, 40 minutes, tells Dr. Frank some things about himself that he confirmed later on with uh, his parents. And, um, and then uh, Valiant Thor departs. Now, this was in, at the end of 1959, and Valiant Thor departed on March 16th, uh, 1960. So now Dr. Frank becomes the grassroots 
man who starts teaching the world about Valiant Thor's arrival and mission. So I think he picked him because he was open to this kind of information and shared the story with him. And uh, when Valiant Thor returned uh, one year later in 1961, on the same date, uh, not long after that, he reconnected with Dr. Frank, and then they stayed in touch until um, uh, the end of Dr. Frank's life, which was in November of 2008. So um, he he met the crew and went on board Victor One for the first time in 1967. And then he became friends with the crew. And when he traveled around the world speaking about this, all over the world, he filled a Dodger Stadium-type arena in Korea to just speak about Valiant Thor. And um, so either Don or Thon, who were vice commanders as well, would always travel with him to protect him. So um, it is just, I mean, it's just fascinating stories of, uh, you know, all of his travels and things that happened and people who tried to do uh, bad things to him and all of that, uh, all of which um, I cannot fit into, you know, the the big screenplay, uh, only because it just doesn't fit with the normal storyline. You have to stick with the storyline. So, right. Um, but right. there is just so much. But but I will at some point, you know, um, put it all into. Um, I, I plan on expanding uh, the Stranger at the Pentagon book and including all these stories and uh, uh, things and um, and a lot of other private pictures that Dr. Frank has um, that have never been shared. So. Wow. Okay. So you yeah. got you got all kinds of goodies just waiting to be released. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. It'll be a very healthy movie for our planet. So yeah. it's uh, yeah. people just, will really enjoy it because it's based on you know the whole story is based on a true story. So yeah, well, I'm sure you know Dr. Frank is is up there, you know, on a ship someplace, and he's really proud of you. Oh, I know he is. You you protected the truth. He he was such a an incredible man. I mean, everybody just loved him. I mean, really and truly loved him. So, uh, including myself. And uh, you know, we were only one day apart in our birthdays. I was I'm October fifth, and he's October sixth. So uh, we shared our birthdays a lot. Well, happy belated birthday! Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's a lot of I know a lot of Libras. You know. Yeah, there's a lot of us. Must yeah. have been those cold end of Januarys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That 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 sums it up. Mm-hmm. Well, Craig, I mean, time just flies when you're with us, and I'm just so grateful um, that oh, you do share you. your time so generously. And I really encourage everyone that's listening to get the whole series. Um, you know, and now you've got you've got the first two books on Audible, and then the second yes. two, you know, hopefully by Christmas will be there. So yeah. you've got just enough time to get through the first two, 
um, in time for the second two. And That's also go true. on to uh, go on to Stranger at the Pentagon and and watch this short film. I mean, this is the film for Star Seeds. Um, yeah. It is it is disclosure in in a in a you know in the Hollywood tradition. And really, I think it, it will it very easily come through Hollywood. So that if people are scared, they could say, "Well, it's only a movie." Well, that's that's true, and I really yeah. think that it's a, it's a great healing vehicle for the planet. And and I'm not, you know, none of my intentions or anything with the film is is to ridicule anything that happened back in those days. It's to heal it, and uh, because those people were forced into decisions that they had to make, and. Um, and so we're going to reveal all all of those things as well. So uh, so yeah. So just strangeratthepentagon.com. And uh, if anybody wants to get the four book set, all of them, uh, there's a special button in the book section on autobiography of unanet.com. We just click one, and you can get all four in hardcover or softcover. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Well, I know I know that um Lavendar's gonna be sorry that she missed this because she just she loves you so much. I and, love her uh, so much. I yeah. I don't know if she told you I called her last Tuesday going, Oh my god, I forgot about the show <laughs> She's like, No, you're not on till next Tuesday I went, Oh phew. <laughs> and of course I was in my mind thinking it was a week ahead not that it actually was that date so anyway but uh, but I will I'm sure I'll talk to her <laughs> yes you will you will and we just we love you and thank you so much for sharing your time and your enormous talent um, with us in the world and uh we're one of these days. You know, we're going to be able to sit down and you know and have a cup of coffee. Um, we ever get out to California? Because I know that you don't get out of California oh, God, very that much. Would be, <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be so awesome. Yeah, yeah. So well, we'll just look forward to that future moment in time. We will. We will. Well, when we're making a movie, you guys just have to come out and visit the set. How's that? Oh, oh, you know that's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. You we'll have to be, be extras yeah, we'll be in the there. movie. We'll be there when you're shooting the film. Yeah. <laughs> so cool, cool, cool. Well, Craig, I'm giving you a big hug. Uh, big Thank hug for all of you. So I love you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, it's always a pleasure, always a pleasure to have you on. So um, until the next time, we'll just say thank you. And from all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you all for listening. Thank you, special thank you to Craig Campobasso for being on the planet and being who he is. And until next week, everyone, take care of yourselves. Find gratitude and compassion in every day. Until next time, good night, Craig. Good night. Good night, everyone. Good night, John Boy. Good night, John Boy. Bye-bye. Good night, Lavendar. <laughs> You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 